while you're still standing, I want you to sort of to prayerfully repeat after me. God, I want to be here. I'll be fully present, actively engaged. Give me something today. I'll give back to you. While we look at the word, stay standing and let's uh, look at it together. We threw a lot of verses from Colossians 3. This is the third time in these three weeks that we're saying turn here. But here's a simple verse today. Colossians 3, 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Would you be seated? A guy goes to a job interview, and at this job interview, he sits down in front of the prospective boss, and the boss um, asks him, hey, what's your worst quality? And the guy said, honesty. And the guy said, well, if you ask me, I mean, I think about it. Honesty is never a bad quality. And the guy goes, I don't care what you think. (laughs) Question today, would the future you hire you if the future you knew you? Would the future you, that you and out there in some distance, would that you hire you if that you knew you, this you? Think about this passage. Do your work heartily. Whatever you do, that's expansive, that's broad. Uh, We suffer. People in my profession have made it even worse, but we suffer from a false dichotomy of what a calling is or what a calling isn't or what fits into that. But whatever you do, do that work heartily as unto the Lord. So this morning, what I want to give us is 10 commandments of work, okay? I have over the weekend, I don't know what y'all did, but I went up on a mountain on high, received 10 things from God that I put down on a tablet, okay? And I'm going to give these to you today. If it's your first time guest, just know that I'm kidding. <laughs> 10 commandments of work, y'all ready? These will be, if you don't want to take notes, if it helps you engage, uh, then Write down, if not, we'll put it up on the website in the group thing. Here's the first commandment. Thou shalt identify the larger meaning of your work that makes it a calling. That's probably the most wordy commandment that I'm giving you today. But thou shalt identify the larger meaning of your work that makes it a calling. There are a few approaches that people can take when it comes to work. One is um, to treat your work as a job. And if you treat your work as a job, it's really largely about the pay. You remember some of you, at least people my age and older may remember the maxim, I owe, I owe, off to work I go. And look, if that is you, if that's your primary motivation or when it is your primary motivation, if you go to just receive over time, most likely you're going to resent your job. There was a guy who wrote in the 70s a country song, take this job and shove it. The irony there is that the guy who wrote that song, take this job and shove it, his name was Johnny Paycheck. So one approach that you can have is to treat your work as a job. A second approach that you could have is to view it as a career, view your work as a career. And this is not so much about pay as it is prestige, advancement, promotion. This is when you 
and I are tempted to live contrary to the gospel, which is we tie our worth to our job. And if that is you, you know who you are. And likely if you came with someone sitting next to you now, they know that that can be you. It's a battle that I struggle with way too often. It's why I say we have to preach the gospel continually to ourselves. But you can, you can treat your, your work as a job where it's about the paycheck. You can view your work as a career. Or there's a third option. You can look at your work as a calling. And so when it comes to a calling, we have mysticized this to great era in our day and in our, in our minds. So to, to, um, let me just state some obvious things that we tend to underappreciate or miss on the surface. But if it's a calling, there's a caller. And guess what? Who is the caller? God is the caller. You're not the caller. You're not the shot caller or baller. You're the callee, okay? And the callee doesn't just do what they want to do. The callee, in fact, 1 Corinthians 6 tells us in a little bit of a different context, it says that, hey, you have been bought with a price. All right, we will culminate this sermon by taking communion together. You have been bought with a price. Jesus died for you. You are not your own. Scripture makes it clear there in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You are not your own. You don't call the shots. If you've been called and you view your work, if your approach to your work is as a calling, then you are saying, God, you have called me. You are the caller. I am the callee. Scripture places such tremendous value on work from the beginning to the end. Some of us have a view of heaven that it's a great retirement village that we'll be wearing shorts with new redeemed legs, but still black socks. And we're playing shuffleboard in a place that looks like Boca. And that's our idea of this eternal retirement village, but we will work and we will serve. Now there is, we, I, won't have, I won't bore you and, and go nerdy on you and geek out on you, but there is work before the fall and there is work after the fall. That could be a good Google search or type in your favorite pastor and see what they uh, say about that. But theologically, there's, there's distinctions there, but God from the beginning ordained work, and he is a worker. Peter was a fisherman. Paul was a tent maker. Jesus was a carpenter, way more than a carpenter, but he was a carpenter. A definition I would like to submit to you today on work is this. It's expenditure of energy for the creation of value. Work is expenditure of energy for the creation of value. Somebody put it this way, that work is love made visible. And if you take those two definitions, the one I submitted to you and then the one that somebody else submitted to me this week, work is expenditure of energy for the creation of value and work is love made visible. Those two ideas, those two definitions of work support the idea that your work could be viewed as a calling. Isaiah 28, interesting passage here. Remember the Bible, work and work and work. God places high value on work and wants us to. He is a worker and calls you to it. Isaiah 28, uh, when a farmer plows for planting, does he plow continually? You bunch of sophisticated city people, you don't even know the answer to that. The answer is no. Does he keep on breaking up and working the soil? Again, no. His God instructs him and teaches him the right way. 
Grain must be ground to make bread, so one does not go on threshing it forever. The wheels of a threshing cart may be rolled over it, but one does not use horses to grind grain. All this also comes from the Lord, Almighty, whose plan is wonderful, whose wisdom is magnificent. When you see God, when you see your job as a calling, and God is the caller, you invite him in. I wonder how many of us have actually laid hold of this, of God, you're the counselor. Your plan is wonderful. Your wisdom is magnificent. I want to bring you in to what this is. And it doesn't matter how mundane it can be. You can bring God into that. So the second commandment is this. Thou shalt crush it. All right? Using the slang from today, that's my version I'm, I'm sorry, what God gave me on the mountain this weekend for the commandment that I wrote in a tablet. But thou shalt crush it. Colossians 3, 23, we read it earlier, right? Whatever you do, do your work heartily as unto the Lord. Now, the big idea putting this in context is, are you working for others? Or are you working for the one? And that can change everything. It can change everything. Thou shalt crush it. Select passages here. Remember this passage that everything's flowing from today it says to do your work with all of your heart. These are uh, a few other passages. There's so many that talk about the role, the value of our heart. First Chronicles 28, 9 tells us to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. That's a little Solomon wisdom there. Serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart. Jesus talked about love, what love is. That all that matters is loving God and loving others and that we're to love God with all of our heart. Heart is important. Giving it to him, it matters. In Genesis, Abraham tells his, one of his servants to go out and find a wife for his son Isaac. That's how they did it back then, no e-harmony or online dating services. So Abraham sent out a servant to find a wife for his son Isaac. The servant leads a caravan, including several people and camels, and they go to a well, and the, the servant there, the, the chief of them, the chief of the caravan, the guy leading the other guys and the camels, he's very thirsty, quite thirsty. They see a woman at the well, and he asks this woman, a woman we will all come to learn as Rebecca, who becomes a matriarch. She, she met her husband, and God used her greatly. He comes to this woman and sees her, with water and ask her very sheepishly, hey, can I have just a little bit of your water? In Genesis 24, 19, we see this response from Becca. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. So we see an early precursor to what Jesus would later teach to go the extra mile. If someone asks you for this, give them that, but give them more than that. What, that's what someone does when their heart is in it. Now, a little trivia here. How, do, you, do you guys, anybody know how much a camel likes to drink when they do drink? They go a long time without drinking, but when a camel drinks, how much do they like to drink? 30 gallons of water. 30 gallons. So with 10 camels, that's 300 gallons of water. This is a woman with serious biceps. She goes the extra mile. She lives with an and then some. Can I tell you that if your heart is in something, that's what you do. You're not looking for the minimum. You're not looking for the 
minimal requirements, the least amount of effort that you need to expend, you're looking to do something special. And this is what we see. She didn't know it at the time, uh, but God would use this in her and in others. And I think it's the kind of character that he's looking for in me. I think it's the kind of character that he's looking for in you. Is your heart in it? When you get up and you take on the day, when you interact with people, no matter what you do, are you willing to go above and beyond? Is your heart engaged? Commandment number three, thou shalt not commit work pride. There are over 200 occupations listed in the Bible. I don't know if you know that. I, I scribbled some of these today, crack research this morning. I, I'll just, I just scribbled some with, uh, that start with a C. They're camel drivers, caravan chiefs, carpet makers, census takers, cheese makers, uh, circumcisers, clothiers, cooks, carpenters, cupbearers, counselors. Those are just occupations, not all of them, that start with a C. There's a 200 plus occupations that are mentioned in the scripture. So here's a question. What's the most important one? You say, it depends. That's always the right answer, right? It's either at church, it's either Jesus or it depends. Those, you always go with those two. What's the most important? Look at Deuteronomy. Moses is talking to Israel. You know, they've been clamoring for a king, clamoring. We've got to have a king. All these nations around us, they got a king, they got a king, they got a king. We need a king. All right, you're going to get a king. But here's what he says, Deuteronomy 17, 18 to 20. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priest. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord as God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. Remember Deuteronomy 8 had just talked about this, Deuteronomy 6. And not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. Back up to 20 there. He doesn't consider, I'm sorry, he doesn't to the top. He doesn't consider himself better than others. Can I tell you early on in the story of Israel, it, it, it really takes on steam when Jesus comes to the point in the church when, when they were showing favoritism to people. Jesus' half-brother James says that needs to stop. Like if you think people are more important than other people because of what they do and you're showing favor, like that needs to be cut. That's not the way of Jesus. And God hates any human system that elevates some people over other people because of what they do. Now, some of you are going, mm, amen. Not many of you because it's 930. But listen to me. Make it close to home. Do you find yourself treating anybody any differently because of what they could do? Do you treat somebody differently because what they could give to you or what the prospect is for the future? Or do you view everybody the same and therefore treat everybody the same? Don't let your work, if it, if it sucks, if it's hard, if it's tough, don't let it steal your worth. If you're blessed and it's good and you have a place of prominence and there's some wealth or status attached to that, don't let it cause pride in your life. And let us as a church treat everybody equally. Let's not even give a hint or a sniff of favoritism at Fondren, okay? 
Fourth command, thou shall not act unethically. This may hurt. This may convict. In Ephesians chapter 4, like Colossians, Paul in this letter, I mean, communicators have not just a vibe to them, they not just have a skill set, but they have like a grid, a template that they work off of. And you see that with Paul. He opens his letters talking about grace and peace and addressing the people warmly that he's writing to. And there's other letters like the Corinthian letters that he, he calls people out. He does that in most all of the letters, but he talks about how great Jesus is before he starts giving any commands about how you should live. Because it's not a bunch of rules and lists. We listed some things last week from the first part of Colossians 3. It's not a bunch of lists and rules. So he talks about who Jesus is and what he's done for you and what the gospel message is for us. And then he says, here's how it ought to live. You ought to walk in a manner worthy of Christ. Your conduct should flow from your character and your character flows from what Christ has done and is doing in you. But by chapter four in Ephesians, Paul said this to people and they needed to hear it. And I'm not so sure we don't need to hear it. He says this, Ephesians 4, 28 is the passage. Let him who stole... Still no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands that he may have to give to those in need. So stay with me for a second. Notice a progression. He's saying to convicts, ex-convicts, people in a poverty-stricken area with also people of elite status, he's saying let him who stole, this is the church, let him who stole still no more. And you may say today, all right, I got that. But he's talking about the value of work. You see, this work thing and you bringing meaning and finding meaning in your work is a big thing. It's like joy. And people who hate their jobs typically hate life. But to find meaning in your work and to, when you, if you can do something and do something to benefit the good of others, then you're sharing with those who have need. It's why we often say, Lauren and I often say from this very stage that when it comes to our tithes and offerings, which we'll do at the end of the service, when it comes to our tithes and offerings, it's an opportunity for us to give, but to thank God that he's given to us and given us the ability to produce. And even though there are times you wanna hold on and not give and clutch tightly to things because it's yours, God wants to grow you by learning to be a generous person. So do not steal. And it could be easy for some of us to say, well, I've got that. No murder this week, no adultery, no stealing. But have you padded an expense account? Have you taken home office supplies? In what ways have you cut ethical corners? Oh, nobody's going to notice. Are you sure? In fact, I want to already call that out. Somebody does notice. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's forming clicks at your place of employment. Maybe it's saying sexually inappropriate things to people. I just want to say today, be careful. You could end up on a debate stage next to Elizabeth Warren. Just be careful. Like, don't do that because Jesus doesn't want you to do it. But that kind of stuff, if you think it's innocent, can I tell you, it's not. And it will come back and it will trip you up and it could sabotage the future that you want to have. But in what ways? In what ways have you cut corners? And if you have, what ways can you stop? Let him who stole steal no more. Whatever, whatever ethical corners. For some, it, it's common in today's climate 
employment climate to lie about where you've been because you would be embarrassed about where you've been. In what ways, in what ways do you need to surrender as a Jesus follower and honor God with your work? Paul would say to some early Jesus followers found in Philippians 2, he would say, do all things without complaining, grumbling, disputing, like live in such a way that you would shine as a bright light in a crooked and perverse generation. Look, for some of you, it's a burden, isn't it, to see how broken and busted up this world is? Like it's just busted and broken up and it can get the best of you and the workplace can be that cutthroat environment where you see it and you experience it. If you're not careful, you get drawn into it. You become it. You never notice that you can, you can become what you hate in a, if this environment is right. And Paul's saying, here's a way in the midst of the scandal-riddenness, in the midst of crookedness and perverseness where people aren't making good choices, you can stand out. And so let that fall where it may today. One of the Ten Commandments of work, one of the ways you can do your work heartily is unto the Lord, is commandment four, thou shalt not act unethically. Number five, thou shalt not commit the sin of 24-7-ism. Okay, again, God gave these to me on a mountain this weekend, so that's actually a new word, 24-7-ism. Exodus 20, verse eight, everybody knows it. You don't even have to be a person of faith to know this. Remember, even though we forget, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. When God created, he separated. Now, we think of this word holy as kind of a bad word. All right, stay with me for a second. Holy is a wonderful word. But we, it's, it's misunderstood because we interpret it as holier than thou, which is not good. Like, holier, let's just reject holier than thou. But let's not reject holy, because holy means to be separate. And when God created, he separates many things. He separated light from day. He separated sky from earth. He separated land from sea. And the last thing that God separates in the creation story, he separates labor from leisure. And here's our problem, you and me. We join together what God has separated, and we at times tend to separate what God has joined together. We mix it up and we get it wrong and labor and leisure is a big thing and it's affecting us more because of how we live. Someone described email as an electronic kudzu. It just gets everywhere and it's, a lot of you know what I'm talking about. It stays with you. Maybe one of the worst inventions is a little box that says reply all. Here's what one thinker of our day said we live in a cult of connectivity so we're both think about this now so we're both always working and never really fully working some of you you get that on the surface some of you like me you have to think about that a couple times but put it this way let me read it again we live in a cult of connectivity so we're both always working both of these always working and never really fully working so if you're in bed at night and you're checking work-related email or if you're at the office and you're posting or you're looking at social media, right? You're both always working and never really fully working. And God is saying to us, hey, I am a separator and I want you to be a separator. I want you just as I have separated light from day, sky from earth, land from sea, and labor and leisure. 
I want you to do the same as well. So commandment there, do not commit the sin of 24-7-ism. Some of us in our pride say, I don't need that day of rest. I'm telling you, you do. Be with yourself. Be with God. Be with friends. Be with family. Do things that you enjoy that bring you life and do not work. Honor God that way. Commandment number six, thou shalt not commit work idolatry. The word idolatry, we dismiss too often because we're sophisticated modern people. In the Old Testament, there were idols like this, Baal and Moloch. But in our day, we have idols with these names, success or achieve. For some of you, it's addiction. For some of you, it's the drivenness in you. You're enslaved to the God of success or achieve. And it's on the altar before that God that you're sacrificing your family. Pretend, if you will, that God is at the top. I bet a lot of you would say, man, I should put God first in all things. Under that, if you are married, not everybody's married, not everybody should be married. I want to give attached value to everyone who's single. But let's say that you are married. There's God, there's marriage, and then there's children. And then under that is work. Now, I'm not quoting any Bible here. I'm just probably tapping into what most of you would state would be your values. That would be the priority and order. I wouldn't dispute it. I think it's a good thing. But God, marriage, children, if you have those, and then work. And let me, let me give you a little secret. Work is not going to be happy to be in fourth place. Work is going to vie for supremacy. Work is going to jockey for position. Work will not be satisfied until it goes up the ladder and becomes number one in your life. So I want to, if you suspect that this could be you, that you could be violating this commandment or because of your view of work as a career where you're attaching your worth to it and success and achievement could be the gods of whom you are sacrificing on the altar before them, your family and what matters. For everyone who's married and you suspect this could be you, I want to give you a question to ask your mate and then a, a comment after that question. To genuinely, without distraction, sit down with them and say, are you suffering, are we suffering because of my attachment and involvement with work and success? Are you suffering, are we suffering because of my attachment or involvement to work or success, and then follow that up before they can give you input. Follow that up with, but be honest with me. And if you genuinely would be open to receiving feedback from the one who knows you best, from the one who you made commitment to before God and man, if you'd be open to that, this could likely save someone at the 9 30 or 11 o'clock service today at Fawn. This could save somebody from deathbed regrets of where you missed moments and crushed little hearts and created a vacuum in little people who never became all that they could have been because you worshiped your work and you served a God of achievement and success. Commandment number seven, thou shalt expect problems. This is striking to me about us. And uh, 30 and youngers, 
Mm. Listen, just listen for a moment. We, it's strange to me that we expect to go to work, but we get to work and we don't expect problems when we get to work. So real quick, a little bit of Jesus out of context. That sounds so irreverent. Stay with me. Luke 9, 62, he's talking about discipleship. He's talking about the kingdom. That's the context. I understand that. Jesus replied, no one puts a hand to the plow and looks back, is fit for service in the kingdom of God. All right, kingdom, that's what it's about. He's not talking about work, but he, he, he includes work, right? You see that. A man is putting his hand on the plow. So question, why is he plowing? He's plowing because the ground is hard. And for you, I want to ask you, what is your hard ground at work? What is it? Cranky customers, difficult coworkers, slow computers, stubborn engines, restless students, challenging decisions, any of those? What's the ground that you have to plow? Thou shalt expect problems at work. Listen, especially if you're young, it's called work. Jesus would also say, Matthew 6, 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. So again, in context, this is about anxiety. This is about who do we ultimately trust? This is about can we sleep at night without pills or sleep aids? But here, notice the profound nature of what he said at the end. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Today has enough trouble of its own. You and I are promised that. And it's in the arena of work where you will likely experience trouble after trouble after trouble. Expect problems. Our prayer, our common prayer is, God, give me a new job. And God, many times over, I'm not trying to speak for him today. I've joked about the mountain and the Ten Commandments. I'm not trying to speak for God to everybody, but I envision a God who often is saying to us, when you say, God, give me a new job, God is saying, do your already job with greater love. Work is the expenditure of, of energy for the creation of value. Work is making love visible. How can you, in the midst of problems, make love visible? Commandment number eight, thou shalt not have a bad attitude. This is, um, I think I taught this a year or two back, but there's a person in the Old Testament. I didn't learn this until a few years back. There's only one person in all of the Old Testament, notice the distinction, only one person in all the Old Testament who is said to have been filled with the Spirit of God. Now, the Spirit hovered, and the Spirit created, the Spirit is God, the Spirit was with people, the Spirit directed people, taught and counseled, counseled, et cetera, et cetera, but only one person was said to be filled with the Spirit of God in the Old Testament. Who was it? Wasn't David, wasn't Esther, wasn't Daniel, wasn't even Moses. Here it is. Exodus 31, then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have chosen this guy, Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah. He wants to make really sure you know who he is, right? And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, only time in the Old Testament, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. So he must be a teacher. He's going to be a prophet. He's going to be a skilled orator. He's going to be like Moses. He's going to stand before the people. He's going to be a preacher. Verse 4, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. This 
is what God chooses to do when he fills somebody with the spirit of God. Listen to me. God loves beautiful design with skilled execution. He does. He loves beautiful design with skilled execution. God hates, he hates bad emails. He loves well-written emails and hates badly written emails. I got a badly written email this week and I replied, God hates this stuff. <laughs> right? you, want, you might want to do that. Look, God loves well-run meetings. God loves well-led teams. God loves it when we make a plan and execute it to the best of our ability. God loves well-cleaned sinks and well-driven buses and well-designed apps. God loves that. On Friday, remember Friday, it was like a day of sun and it was so refreshingly beautiful. And I noticed that our gym, as we are doing renovations, it's really, we've let the grass grow and there's trash and stuff back there. Like, we, let's tackle this. And I was driving up the street and there was the Fleming lawn service just down the street. I'm like, hey, would you be willing to follow me as I follow Jesus to Fondren Church? And there's a patch of grass and we'll pay you 50 bucks, 75 bucks, whatever you say, we'll pay you if you'll cut it. And these guys followed me and they got out and they cut that area. Tammy came down, gave them a small check. Sorry, Nick, we didn't approve it with the finance team, but just wrote them a little check. And it was just gratifying. Uh, this is, I know it sounds simple, but just to stand on that area Friday and just look and see something that we kind of neglected during the, the winter months and it's been overgrown and kind of cruddy and just to look and see, you know, of course, God created the blue sky and the green grass and the sun was shining and it was just one of those moments that I just savored it. I was enjoying it and I was thankful for the lawn service and they stood with me and they were marveling at me, marvel at it, but they, they took joy in my joy and they had their own joy and I was thinking today, that day Friday as I was thinking about today's sermon is that honors God. You don't have to be a preacher. In fact, Scripture tells us time and again, put your hand on a plow. And some of us, 1 Thessalonians 4, we need to learn to work quietly with our own hands. And there is dignity to a well-cut lawn. And it honors, it honors God. How can you apply this? God, give me a new job. God may be saying to you, do your already job with greater love. Oh, and that attitude of yours, you can't love well if you have a bad attitude. And here's what I want to say to you. Time and time again, it's a daily prayer that I have to bathe my life into, my heart and mind. In Colossians 3 from last week, let the word of Christ richly dwell within me, but you can bring God into problem areas of your work. Commandment number nine, thou shalt be accountable Jesus told many employment stories and parables. One of them is probably familiar to most of us in the room. He gives talents, a weight of measurement in biblical times to three different employees. First one invested and makes a lot. He had skill and intention and determination and drive. Second guy, same thing, didn't make as much money, but they were both equally rewarded because they both had skill, initiative, and drive. They took their jobs and took it to heart. But the third man, you may know, buried it. No skill, no initiative, no drive. He punched the clock. He called in sick. He had, a, I don't want to do this attitude, no dreaming, no drive, no determination, no risk. His job review didn't go well. Listen, many times I have thought over the last few years, I am my own boss. That is awesome. I've also thought, I am my own boss. That is awful. 
And here's what I want to say to you. Nobody, if you lead your organization, nobody is purely autonomous. And no one should be purely autonomous. We all answer to someone. But ultimately, there's an answer where we will, even if you're serving faithfully in a hard place where you're not noticed or recognized, listen to me, there will come a day when every faithful servant, it will be said of them, well done. Commandment number 10, thou shalt not retire. The word retirement is never mentioned in the Bible, I think for a reason. Now, I do know some of you who have retired or are close to retirement. I just wanna say as a pastor, keep working, make them money, make a lot of money, give it all to the church, give it all to this church, all right? No, listen, I know some of you have retired and you are showing me Jesus as you say, I wanna keep living and keep volunteering. I wanna coach, I wanna mentor. I wanna do things to bring value. I wanna expend energy for the creation of value around me. John 5, 17, in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. The heart and character of God is he is a worker and he has worked for you and me. Jesus did the work of redemption. From the cross, he said, it is finished. All the commandments will be up on our site. I don't know if we have it listed um, in a concise order, but all of them will be up on our site in the group guide. But I want to ask you today, when it comes to work and do it heartily as unto the Lord, what do you most need? What challenges are the most and where do you need for Jesus to meet you? God is a worker and the greatest work he has done is the work of redemption for us. So I want to ask you to bow with me for a moment as we pray. As our our team comes up to lead us in song and as our leaders take uh, their place, actually we're going to do it differently today as I say that, you should be sitting somewhere. We'll probably have some leaders help you if you don't have a cup. For everyone who makes a confession, for everyone who says, I'm a Jesus follower, whether you're a guest and a member of another church, if you're a follower of Jesus, look, don't take the cup um, if that isn't your confession. But if you say, I am a follower, I am a believer, this is my heart's cry, then take the cup that you have in front of you just ready it in a moment. Let me just tell you that there's a couple of peels that you'll want to do. Uh, you peel off that top layer and you'll see a piece of bread and then you peel back again and you'll see the juice. And Jesus in all four gospels told his followers after he had broken bread and given thanks, he said, this is my body broken for you. In a world that's busted and broken up, in a world that's full of hate and discord and division, this is a remembrance that we have a God who came to be with us, who identifies with us in our suffering, in our pain, and in our sin, who's taken our place and paid the penalty for us. And so we do this in remembrance. And so now, if you would... Just peel back. Take the bread. 
as you eat it, this is Christ's body broken for you. This is his blood shed for you. Would you stand? Father, thank you for the work that you have done. The work of creation. And despite the fall, despite the sin-stained world, you've done the work of entering and reconciling. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And God, thank you that you can meet us where we are. And you do not desire, as this letter so long ago written to an early church reminds us, you do not desire that we disengage 40, 50, 60 hours of our week and live it separately from you. And so teach us to do what we do for you. Bless the tithes and offerings. Thank you for the opportunity we have, blue collar, white collar, rich or poor, that we have to be regular worshipers to gather in community and to offer tithes and offerings to you. Lord, may Fondren collectively be a creative expression of energy, bringing value into the lives of people, light into darkness. In Jesus we pray. Amen.